Uh, so Ravinda's going to come and read that to us. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles at Psalm 96. Thanks, Ravinda. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nation are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Uh, friends, let's uh, join together in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us so clearly about Christ and the salvation that we have in him. Father, we pray that uh, you, by your word and spirit now, would grant us uh, insight and understanding of your word, that we would indeed uh, be those who not only uh, trust Jesus as our Lord, but want to proclaim his salvation. And we ask these things in his most precious name. Amen. I wonder if you ever get so excited about something that you just have to share it with others so that they can experience it too. Are you ever like that? I'm, uh, I'm sometimes like that with, when, I, when I see a really good movie and I, I reckon it's a must-see and uh, I just want to tell everyone that they've got to go and see that movie. Uh, perhaps for you it's, it's a book that you've read, or maybe it's a restaurant that you've eaten at. Uh, what are the things which cause your enthusiasm to just bubble over so that everyone knows about it? Uh, sometimes, of course, it's the truly important things of life. Uh, which we just can't keep to ourselves. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we, um, why we tend to love the Psalms. Uh, not all of the Psalms, of course, are full of contagious joy. There are some Psalms where uh, the psalmist um, uh, confesses his sin uh, or laments uh, the, uh, the difficulties that he's having in life. Um, but there are other psalms which are just literally bursting with joy, overflowing with joy as the psalmist praises God for who he is and what he's done and just wants everyone to know about that. Like Psalm 96, 
Psalm 96, friends, is one of those psalms, if you'd like to have that open in your Bibles. Now, um, back in the days before we had data projectors, uh, we used to have a thing called uh, songbooks. Do you remember those? And hymn books. You know, the, uh, the book of Psalms was basically Israel's songbook. And, uh, and that's why many of the Psalms uh, begin with words, which in the Hebrew Bible is actually the first verse of the Psalm. Uh, they begin with words like, for the director of music, a Psalm, a Psalm of David, and so on. And that is not how Psalm 96 starts. It doesn't start that way, does it? But because it is a psalm, we know that this is a song. And unlike many of the other psalms in the book of Psalms, we actually know a little bit about its backstory. Let me tell you about it. The the, the background of Psalm 96 is in the book of 1 Chronicles, which we went through in church a a couple of years ago. And it... uh, It describes a time when Israel was at war. Uh, They were at war with the Philistines and the Philistines had been winning the battles because of Israel's sin. Uh, They'd been winning the battles until King Saul died. Remember, he was wounded on the battlefield and then he uh, got someone to uh, finish the job for him that uh, Saul died and David succeeded him as king. Uh, When under God, David defeated the Philistines. And one of the things which happened after David had defeated the Philistines was that uh, they brought the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that? That's the the box which contained the the Ten Commandments. They brought the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant Uh, into the city of Jerusalem. And this was a high point for Israel. And they celebrated. There was a a great procession as the Ark of the Covenant was being led into the city of Jerusalem, a great procession with with the musicians who were blasting their trumpets and clashing their cymbals and strumming their hearts, making a joyful noise unto the Lord... And it was on that day that David handed his musicians a psalm. And he said, here's a psalm, guys. Well, in his way of talking, uh, here is a psalm. Why don't you put it to music so we can sing it? And in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, I think it is, uh, we have the... The, the words of that psalm, and it's basically the lyrics of Psalm 96, plus some lyrics from a couple of other psalms added to it. And friends, when the ark was brought into Jerusalem, the musicians played whilst David literally danced his way into the city. That's joy, isn't it? That's joy which... Uh, which overflows, which we even see in the opening verses of this psalm. Let me, have, let me read for you verses 1 to 3. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all 
people. So uh, what is it that David wants everyone to do? Well, he wants us to, to sing, to proclaim and to declare. Now, why do we sing? Uh, why do we sing in church when we're allowed to sing in church? Well, we know from uh, other parts of the Bible, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, that uh, when we sing, uh, we, we actually sing uh, to one another, don't we? Uh, because we, we sing to one another in order to teach and encourage one another in the good things about God. But we don't just sing about the Lord. Uh, here, and also in Ephesians 5, we also sing to the Lord. It's not just outward, it's also upward. And we sing to the Lord because music allows us to uh, express our thoughts uh, about God with feeling, the kind of feeling that, uh, that music actually is a, is a conduit for. Singing, as we see in verse 1, a new song. Now, I don't think it says a new song simply because Psalm 96 was a new song when it was written, uh, but that our singing, rather, should express the, the freshness, uh, the newness uh, of our response to God. So we are to sing to the Lord. We're also to proclaim God's salvation and declare his glory. How do we do that? Well, uh, King David he just wanted everyone to know uh, how the Lord had saved Israel from her enemies. What about us? What is it about God that should so excite us that we just want to proclaim, we just want to declare it to everyone that we know? What is it? You know, I think sometimes the, that, uh, the messaging of churches to society is the wrong messaging. Sometimes the message that churches send to the world is the message that God is a, a sort of an authoritarian uh, killjoy who just wants us to conduct ceremonies and rituals and, and who likes tradition and so on. And yet the message which should overflow from us is the gospel that God's salvation comes through Jesus dying for our sins and rising again and that there is forgiveness, there is eternal life for those who repent and trust in him. That should excite us, shouldn't it? That should overflow in our lives. Now, just a, a few days ago, uh, Cassie and I... Uh, got a message from someone, someone who is, who is very close to us, who just wanted to share her joy about somebody else, someone who's also close to us, who's not a Christian, uh, but who is now listening to sermons, listening to sermons every week online, and at a critical point in her life where she really needs the gospel. How about that, isn't it? Isn't that great? I was so pleased to hear that our mutual person we knew in common was, was hearing the gospel. I was encouraged by the enthusiasm 
of the one who is sharing that good news with us. Now notice also in verse 3 that David wants God to be known not just in Israel, but he says among the nations, among all people. Which, it doesn't sound like Israel was to keep the good news about God to herself, does it? No, the knowledge of God... Uh, from the very beginning, right throughout the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, the knowledge of God was always to be... um, Israel was to be like that light on a hill. Uh, The knowledge of God was to spread from Israel and out into all of the world to, to the Gentiles. You know what that means? <clears throat> that means that we too should not bottle up the gospel for ourselves um, in our cosy little Christian bubble because people need to be saved and we've got the message that can save them. You and I should want the whole world to know about Jesus. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we encourage people to get into uh, doing ministry in other places. But you know what? Um, The whole world are hearing the gospel. That's a pretty big job. I always need to be reminded that world mission uh, begins with the person who lives next door or the person who we sit with in class at school or uni or the person who we play bowls with. That's a start, isn't it? And it takes something which is a huge concept of the gospel going out into the whole world and makes it actually achievable for us and personal for us. We need to tell people the gospel. And we need to tell them uh, for their salvation and because they need to know that the Lord, he truly is God. Take a look at verse 4. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens, splendour and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Now, before David became Israel's king, God actually allowed the Philistines to capture the Ark of the Covenant. And that excited the Philistines because they, the way they thought about that is they thought, well, we've, we've actually captured Israel's God. How about that? And so what do you do when you've captured someone's God? What do you do with the God? Well, they thought, well, how about we team him up with, with our God? And so they placed the Ark of the Covenant inside the the temple, their temple, right next to their god, who was a statue named Dagon. Now, this did not end very well for Dagon. Because the the next morning when they went to the temple, they opened the door and Dagon had fallen flat on his face. They put him back upright again. The next day they come back and he'd fallen flat on his face. And this time his head and his arms had been uh, shattered. And then God sent a a plague which infected uh, the whole of the Philistines. And so they they took that Ark of the Covenant and they sent it right back to where it came from, 
back to Israel. They couldn't wait to get rid of it. Now, of course, the Ark of the Covenant is just a box. And you can't put God in a box. Whereas in verse 5, all the gods of the nations are idols. Now, the, uh, apparently the Hebrew word which is translated as idols here is a little bit interesting. Um, it's, it's, sim- it's a very similar word to the Hebrew word for, for God, which is Elohim, but there's one letter difference, and the word is Elihim, which instead of meaning God, actually means worthless. Just change one letter, and you go from the sublime to the ridiculous. And that's, I think they call that parody, don't they? It's a parody on the word for God. And it's appropriate, isn't it? Because idols have no power in this world or in life. They are just worthless blocks of stone or wood. Whereas the God who made the heavens, the God who made the sun, the moons, the stars, the planets, the God who made us, he is the one who has revealed himself to Israel through his dealings with them throughout the Old Testament. And ultimately, he is the one who has revealed himself to us even more fully when he became one of us and died for us. So, do people in Port Macquarie bow down to idols, to worthless idols? Yes, they do. Uh, Maybe not uh, idols carved from uh, stone or timber, but bricks and mortar, steel and rubber, uh, sun and surf, absolutely. And and an idol is, is whatever it is that we live for, whatever it is that we value, whatever it is which actually takes the God, the, the place that God rightfully uh, deserves in our lives. That is our idol and is worthless compared to the lasting joy of having a relationship with God. Makes sense, doesn't it? For what could be better than to be living for the one who made you, who loves you, and who died for you. So how should we respond to God? Uh, Take a look at verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So Psalm 96 began by telling us three times to sing to the Lord. And here we are told three times to ascribe to the Lord. What does it mean to ascribe something? Well, I I think about in... Think, for example, of COVID-19. And we might think that the way that COVID-19 has been managed and controlled in Australia is pretty good. And so we might ascribe 
the success to our leaders, to attach to them the credit for doing the job. And so it is with God. We ascribe to God the glory that is due to him. Now the problem is that we don't always ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to him. Uh, In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that instead of glorifying God, instead of ascribing glory to him, that we actually do prefer our idols and we consider the knowledge of God to be the thing which is worthless. That's sin. And yet if we do ascribe glory to the Lord, then in verse 9, what will we do? We will worship him. How so? What does it mean to worship God? It's worth spending a moment or two on this because I think that there are some some unhelpful ideas which Christians have about what it means to worship God. Um, For example, when um, when we limit the concept of worship to a church service and we, we call the service a a worship service. Uh, or when we limit the concept of worship to just one particular uh, thing which we do in the church service. You know, when, we, when we sing, and we call that, that the worship time, and we have worship leaders and so on. Now, in one sense, that, that is understandable. Because in the Old Testament, indeed here in Psalm 96, uh, worship is often associated with, uh, with what happens in the temple, with uh, singing and with sacrifices and so on. But if we are in Christ, we are the temple of God. And worship becomes some, is something much larger than what we do at a particular place at a particular time. And, and I guess if you could boil it down we would say that to truly worship God is an attitude of heart whereby we have a right view of our own sinfulness, a right view of our own place, and we have, by contrast, a right view of God's holiness, of his place. And we see ourselves in that in that kind of relationship to God where we are sinners needing forgiveness and in faith and in gratitude we respond to what Jesus has done and therefore we now want to give God what he is worth which can be nothing less than to be giving God our whole lives to living our whole lives in joyful obedience to him. Paul in Romans 12 says that uh, we are to live our lives as living sacrifices and that 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 is our spiritual act of worship. That's a lot bigger than just what we do for an hour or so on Sunday or even just part of that time on a Sunday. Living sacrifices. Now, sometimes uh, sacrifice means suffering for the sake of Christ. Uh, Being uh, rejected, perhaps, even persecuted, because uh, we do 
proclaim and declare his name, being wrongly treated, unjustly treated. But that, friends, is nothing compared to the future uh, which God has planned for us, the future glory. Take a look at verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Can you believe that there was a time when some people used that verse um, to say that the earth does not rotate? <clears throat> anyway, that's just an aside. Seriously, I read that. Let's go back. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. And why will they sing? Because the Lord comes. He comes to, to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in truth. Now, I reckon there's a fair bit of poetry in that, don't you? I mean, you know, trees do a lot of good things, but singing probably isn't one of them. But it's more than just poetry. <clears throat> it sounds a little bit like the creation before the fall. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul teaches that because of our sin, that the whole of creation is impacted by that, that the whole of the creation is in decay and the whole of the creation is eagerly awaiting the liberation which comes when Jesus returns on the day of judgment, when God will bring justice, when God will make all things right in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our future. Now, I wonder if uh, you've noticed that in our culture that there are not too many situations where groups of people gather together and sing. You ever notice that? I mean, you can, you can go and join a community choir and then there's church every Sunday, except during COVID-19. That is, Christian gatherings are one of the few contexts where people sing together. We love singing, don't we? Not just because of the music, but because we've got something really worth singing about and telling others about. Does the gospel of Jesus excite you? Are you so thankful to God that you just want others to hear so that they too can be saved through the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Is that what enthuses you? Is that what excites you? Does the gospel of Jesus just overflow in the joy of your life that you want others to be saved as well? Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord, praise his name, Proclaim his salvation day after day, for great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. Let's pray. 
Father, we just want to thank you for your incredible uh, love for us that uh, despite our sin, because of our sin, that you have acted in this world in your sovereignty to bring about your salvation. Father, we thank you that you've saved us, that we were once in darkness, that we were once dead in our sins, but that we have been brought into the glorious light and the life of your kingdom through the death of Jesus and his resurrection from the grave. And Father, we pray that we would not be swayed by the idols of this world that are so worthless, but would rather that we, in gratitude to you, would put you as first in our lives. And Father, that we would have such a love for other people that we want them to know of your salvation. And please use us, we pray, to be the mouthpiece for that. And we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.